Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us on the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 95. No, it's not. It's episode number 96. I'm forgetting how to count now that we're getting up too high. I I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) Uh, Either way, good or bad, we're going to be talking about content strategy for developers and designers, and we're going to be joined with joined by, rather, not with, uh, well, with and by, I guess either one of those words works. Sarah Maxell Crosby is joining us this evening. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other, other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? Uh, not as hot as you. <laughs> Actually, probably <laughs> as hot as you. In Kansas, this heat is normal, so it's like, I, this is just par for the course. You got like a dry heat, though, right? No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, Where do you get humidity from? All the rain that has nowhere to go because our water oh. table is super high and the water, when it rains, okay. it just sits on the ground. Yeah. Kansas is not nearly, it, it is not a dry heat. It is not a pleasant thing that people think. Uh, we we get like one and a half months of summer, but it's like Hell's Front Porch. And that's where we're in, at right now. And I don't have air conditioners because yeah. I've had to put resources towards other stuff. Because like one and a half months out of the year, it's like, all right, we'll just deal with it. Earth told us this latitude was supposed to be cold. <laughs> yeah. I, I moved to upstate New York for the sweltering hot heat. That's why I'm up here. Well, folks, if you are enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, we would love to invite you to come chat with us over on Twitter or Facebook. You can find us at slash Drunken UX. If you want to look for us on Instagram, it's slash Drunken UX podcast. And you can always chat with us any time of day or night because I don't sleep. If you come to Discord, that's DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. Aaron, let's start with you, Mr. I'm sweating in New York. What are you drinking? I have... A very boring drink of water because it is too hot to drink anything else. Feels like so a responsible I'm, I'm sorry option. To the listeners. I, I don't want to like lie and say I'm drinking something fancy. So because I respect our listeners. If you start slurring or, or, or tripping over words, it's just heat delirium. This is me. It's, it's heat stroke. It's heat right? delirium. Yeah. <laughs> so we should. That's exactly. Call it. call an ambulance. Okay, got it. Uh, I'm on the the Balvany 14 Caribbean cask. Uh, I've been on a, a kick lately. I have a lot of like very low bottles on my bar right now, and so I've been finishing them off and like making space for something new. I don't know what I'm going to get yet, but I'm going to go do some shopping for some things I haven't tried yet, uh, or something I haven't had in a long time. I want to want to dress the 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 bar up a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, that'll coming to an episode near you in the near future. I don't know, uh, Sarah. <laughs> You had a glass. I don't know if it was an orange juice or a special orange juice. It is actually a tropical rum punch to go along with Ooh. the steamy weather. So that's. Uh, I actually I, I should have planned this out better. Um, dinner is somewhere between like here and there for me, so I, I don't get to eat until after the show. But uh, we <laughs> ordered a tropical smoothie cafe, and now I'm thinking about mm-hmm. that. And I'm like. That smoothie, I should have ordered that a little earlier because that would have been the perfect. I could have mixed some vodka into it or some rum or something. Like, <laughs> I, I really missed uh, missed out on that. So, that's that one's on me. Uh, the the voice you just heard, obviously, is Sarah Maxell Crosby. Uh, she is the content and digital or a content the or a. I feel like a is probably uh, the right answer because you probably have several at Toho. 
No, actually, V right now, we are currently in the process of interviewing for another content strategist who will probably eventually be a content and digital strategist. Excellent. But right now, yeah, there's uh, Georgie Cohen, who's the director of digital strategy, and me. And that's we're we're a team of two within the larger global team. So. Georgie is a friend of all, uh, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. So, uh, so good people. If you're looking for a job in digital or digital strategy, content strategy, by the time uh, we're done uh, with this episode, uh, go check out OHO because they are good peoples and they do fantastic work out of their agency. So, uh, so I'll re I'll re kick this off here. So Sarah Maxwell Crosby mm-hmm. is a content and digital strategist at OHO Interactive. She is also previously the senior associate director of digital communication strategy at Dartmouth College Advancement Communication. And she was the UX team lead and the first content strategist for Dartmouth Web Services. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm sorry that it is hot and sweltering where you are, but thanks for having me. We're we're a cool show. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I know that was a bad joke. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so I want I want to start real fast before we dive into this topic. I want to talk for just a second about content strategy because I I remember. My God, what is this, 2021? It was probably about 11 years ago. Content strategy got really hot. It was the big thing that was people were talking about. Christina Halverson uh, had put out her book, I think, in 08 or 09, um, Content Strategy for the Web. And everybody was like, oh, this is a neat way of thinking about all of this. Um, and so over the years now, you know, we have actually refined this thought process, this content strategy process. Um, I want to ask you first and foremost, like, how did you get into whether, you know, you were UX originally at Dartmouth Web Services, you've evolved into this content and digital strategist. What, talk to us just about how that happened. I would just love to hear kind of that story, that path. Sure. It actually happened the other way around. I was the content strategist first and then ended up becoming UX team lead from there. Um, hmm. But I definitely did not have a straightforward path to content strategy. I I'd done a lot of different things over the years. I I studied art history. I wanted to be a costume designer. I worked in film production for a little bit. Then I worked as a recruiter, and then I worked as a writer for a few years. And when I started my job as a content strategist, it was early 2013. It ended up tying together all of those previous jobs that didn't seem to have much in common. I found that the things that I liked about each of those jobs all played into content strategy. And when I was a writer, I had left behind a trail of FileMaker databases in my wake because that was <laughs> the database that I knew how to build at the time. And I, so when I started in content strategy, I realized that although I didn't know the term before, I'd actually been practicing content strategy yeah. for a while because I kept trying to, you know, organize the content better, improve the workflows, make sure everyone was on the same page and that we were using consistent terms and plain language and that we were tracking everything and using data to inform our work. And I had been doing that in these writer roles. And so when I started, um, when I joined web services, I was like, this is amazing. This is what I've been trying to do in all my previous jobs. And now it's like my full job. Um, And I had been responsible. My last writing job was in the president's office at Dartmouth. And as part of that role, I'd been responsible for editing a few websites, including this large um, standalone history project site that we did that celebrated Mm. Um, decades of co-education. It was built to coincide with this anniversary and the school was doing all kinds of programming around it. And so I collaborated with the web services team to build that site, to figure out how to structure the content. And then I did all the content entry, which included getting into the HTML because it was easier to get the formatting right that way. 
And I got really comfortable with that. And so then when they were looking to add a content strategist to the team, they asked me to apply. And when I did join, we were right at the beginning of a big migration from Omni Update to Drupal 7. And it included major changes. We weren't just porting content over. We were completely changing the communication strategy, the information architecture. We had a new design system. And I joined right as they were starting to build the first four sites that were kind of the sample sites that we then used to kind of shop around and get everyone on board with this new approach. So I was just thrown right in and we started building out the first four sites and we launched them when I'd been there for about a month. Wow. So um, just thrown right into yeah, the event. That, and that is trial by fire, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned so much. It was really exciting to be doing something different after you know, spending years writing letters and speeches and award citations. And also this thing I found that put together all of the, um, you know, all the things that I'd enjoyed in previous jobs. So. Nice. Uh, I want to, let's, let's answer the initial question. And if, uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, back in, God, I think it was season one, we had Jeff Stevens on uh, and we talked about content strategy a lot, but content strategy can be kind of a hard, like thing to get your mind sort of wrapped around in terms of like where it fits and what it means and what's entailed. Um, Sarah, when, like when you're talking to somebody and, and let's say, you know, you're out in an event and you're sitting there talking with some other professionals at other organizations and they say, Oh, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm a content strategist. And they say, a what now? (laughs) What, how do you define content strategy to people that are hearing that term for the first time? So I think the the simplest but most comprehensive definition that I have shared with people a lot is I make sure that you get the right content to the right people in the right place at the right time. And I don't know if Christina Halverson at Brain Traffic, if she invented that or if she's, um, I know that she's used it in a lot of her writing. And I think it really nicely sums up sort of uh, the different aspects of the work and how you're really, you know, it's not content writing. It's not content marketing. It's really how is your business strategy enacted through your content and how are you mm. making plans so that you can actually maintain it and do it well? The kind of answering of, of the, the, you know, the five W's, the, the what, mm. where, when, and how, not necessarily the why, right? The why sort of is answered in other places or no. I think the why also is definitely a part of it because often what we're trying to do is help people define and understand their goals. Um, To me, content strategy really overlaps with UX a lot because it's a lot about, you know, understanding the users and what their needs are and how do we, how do we, while meeting our business goals, also make sure that we're meeting the user needs. And so reiterating the why, maybe not defining it, but reiterating it, especially because, you know, when it comes to websites and their content, a lot of organizations can have a more internal perspective and they're thinking more about what they need or what makes sense to them. And so you're often kind of like reminding them that the user doesn't have the same knowledge or understanding or expectations and maybe not the same needs. And so if we focus on the why, you know, which is we're trying to meet some need for the user so that they do what we want them to do, um, that ends up being a big part of it. When you uh, talk with organizations, so OHO is a digital agency, right? You you go into organizations and help them deploy new strategy from the marketing level to design UX. Um, when yep. when you roll into one of these organizations who lack this, like you know, you are there to help them because they have realized they don't have the things they need. What problems do they generally find that 
deploying like effective content strategy? What what is that solving for them in that uh, in that moment and in, in that challenge? Yeah. So you know, again, it's the intersection of business goals and user needs, and making sure that their website actually serves both those things, and that it's built to not only meet those needs, but also that they have the systems in place around it so that they can keep supporting the website in an ongoing manner. So a lot of times when people come to us for a redesign, they um, they have a lot of old content on their site, a lot of outdated content. They might not know everything that's there. Um, they might have a lot of content that's not really brand aligned. It doesn't represent them accurately or appropriately. They might have a lot of content that is, you know, not serving the needs of their primary audiences. And then when they think about who their primary audiences are, they might not have the right content for them. Um, so it's really helping them identify kind of the gaps and the opportunities and how they got to this place in the first place. And so what we can do differently so that they end up on a better path in the future. Okay. Would it be would it be accurate to say that like an example of a page that might have come from uh, an organization without a content strategy would be um, maybe like just a random article about something that doesn't get any visits because no one's interested in it and it's not yeah. actually serving a goal. Yeah. I think um, when you're talking about like news and story content, mm -hmm. I think that what a lot of organizations struggle with is they're, we're trying to move them from being reactive to being more proactive. Mm -hmm. So not just writing up a mm -hmm. story because someone said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Will you write about it? but writing up a story because they know what their key brand messages are and this story aligns with that. Um, a lot of communications groups are used to kind of just taking requests. You know, they're they're putting stories up there because people ask them to. Um, and when you start to define instead, well, if these are your goals and these are the messages that you need to be sending out to support those goals, and then that helps provide a framework for how you decide what to write about because you really don't want to be putting your resources into something that's not helping you reach your goals. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of times this can happen both in central marketing communications groups, but also on a larger scale. If you're a large organization that has a lot of editors contributing content, um, there's often a focus on teach people the CMS. If there's any training at all, you know, teach them how to use the CMS, but not, mm -hmm how to prepare the content that you're then published with that CMS. Um, and sometimes, you know, content training is a, is a nice to have. It's an add-on. Like, we're, we'll give you access to the CMS. And then if you want to, you can come take this bonus class. And, and my big thing that I've been pushing for years is, is train on the content first before you give them the keys to drive the car and make sure they've gone through driver's ed, you know? Yeah. Um, we want to make <laughs> sure that, because if you've got hundreds of, you know, site editors like a lot of universities do, all of those people can be putting up content that is either going to hurt or help your brand. And if you're not teaching them, you know, what makes good content, what makes accessible content, what the brand is, um, mm -hmm. then they're probably not going to be helping the brand. I, there, when we were, when we all worked in higher ed, that was around when, or whether, when we all, as in Michael and I, <laughs> I used to work with them. Um, but uh, there was that XKCD thing with the, uh, what university websites have and then what students want. And it was like a Venn diagram. Yeah. And I, I always think whenever I think about content strategy, I always, if you kind of squint your eyes a little bit and look at that, it's, I, I think that content strategy might inform solving some of those problems, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot about understanding your users and what they need. And then how do you create and distribute the content that's going to help them with that? I always I always think about how um the the 
there's a lot of organizational jargon that comes through on university websites like bursar rather than payments or registrar rather than register for classes yeah um, and and just <laughs> and like the university never thinks about it because it's like oh this is who we are the students can deal with it <laughs> Yeah, or there's the sense that like, well, because this office is responsible for this thing, they mm -hmm. also have to be responsible for this content. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if it's really important top level content, what we call authoritative content, you know, maybe the bursar shouldn't be writing that content. Maybe a writing professional should be writing that content. Um, and so the difference between who the subject matter experts that might contribute versus being responsible for producing the content is one of the governance issues that comes up a lot. So it's kind of crappy to have leadership just assume that like anyone can write web content or that a, a, a organization on campus, um, you know, bursar or registrar, whomever, uh, who already has a full plate of work doing their normal job now also has to shoe in shoehorn in like this additional labor to maintain this web content and i i know from having talked with some of the people who work there they're like we don't want to do this right like yes right. we know the answers but like we're already busy right or even often if they are interested if they do want to do it it's still other duties as assigned you know it's something that they might have an hour or two a month to contribute to mm -hmm. um not you know which is often not enough depending on what content we're talking about um, and and some of it comes down to governance too. And this is something that I encountered sometimes when um, when I was at Web Services and we really revamped our training and we did do content training before CMS training. And I'd occasionally get a site editor that would say, "I know, I remember the training. I know I'm supposed to do it this way, but my boss wants me to do it a different way." So that's when you get into sort of governance at the bigger level in terms of what is the content that we really can't allow that to happen what is the content that you really need you know if it's key marketing content then then marketers need to be responsible for the final presentation or you know it do we have support at the top level for for this kind of governance do we have um the president or the provost or the dean um saying yes you know what this content um marketing communications gets to decide how that's presented they'll consult you they'll work with you on it because you're the subject matter experts in that content they're the subject matter experts in how to present your information. So, would you say would you say that um, governance, like web governance of content, has improved over the last five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? I want to say that it has, but like I haven't worked in higher ed in a while. So. Yeah, I think um, I think it has. I think it's the sort of thing that is kind of always evolving. Uh, we talk about governance on sort of a spectrum from being fully centralized to fully distributed. And in, in higher ed, most orgs are somewhere in the middle. And in my experience, the orgs that are more centralized wish they were more distributed and the orgs that were more, dist or more distributed wish they had more central control. So hmm. I, I don't know if anybody's really satisfied and if anyone's really nailed it as like, yes, our governance is perfect, but it's something that you need to kind of keep talking about and keep iterating and keep, you know, um, tweaking it to make it work better and support your goals more. The, you know, one of the classic ways I think about like content strategy in terms of what is a sign that you lack it and you're, you're, I, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from this notion of you're doing bad. Like I know a lot of places are, they're doing what they can, right? They're doing, they're trying mm -hmm, right. to get by with what they've learned. And, and sometimes you don't realize what you don't know until you start picking up on problems. But the thing and and 
Aaron, you kind of you started hitting on this uh, in that very first question you asked, and the first thing I thought of was when I see an FAQ page. That's when I know something has gone a little awry, and even there, there are significant brands out there who I know have got great people, you know, building those sites and working on their language and their messaging and all of these things. But I see an FAQ page, and it's like. That's where content goes to die, so so to speak. I know what you mean because I've been there, but could you elaborate on that for the people who haven't worked on that? Yeah, like thinking about stuff like uh, when you are trying to learn about, let's say, a product, and the mm-hmm. FAQ page is your frequently asked questions. Now, here's the problem. I have yet to find an organization that populates stuff on an FAQ page because it is the most frequently things they get asked at any level. <laughs> this is the stuff we want you to yeah, know. <laughs> it's, it's the stuff we want you to ask. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I literally want to go to a, a place sometime and say, show me the list of who is frequently asking these things. Mm-hmm. Show me that, because mm-hmm. you're implying it. You're saying people are always asking this. And the, the converse relationship is, if it is being frequently asked, then you need to do a better job articulating that information at the higher levels exactly. of your site. Nobody knows what's in an FAQ, right? Right. You you have to guess. What I've said before is that the FAQ is like your kitchen junk drawer. And we don't <laughs> want you know your site to be like a junk drawer. We want your site to be like Martha Stewart's pantry. You open the doors and you know where everything is and everything just makes sense. Yeah. Um, and And exactly, if you are getting this question a lot, then go back to the page that should be answering that question and make sure it does. I think, uh, you know, I've given that the why FAQs are not good for user experience um, talk, you know, mm-hmm. dozens of times over the years to different stakeholders who think that they love FAQs. Um, I think one of the things that potentially complicates it is when you're talking about someone scanning a page, you know, scanning a page using their eyes, going down the page, um, in English at least, when you put things in a question format, the keywords are not at the beginning. Right. You get the question words at the beginning, like what, where, how, mm. and the keywords are somewhere in the middle of the page, and it makes it harder to scan down and find it. But something that's come up recently that I think is going to complicate the idea that like we should never have FAQs is voice user interface yeah. and the fact that they mm-hmm. love questions. So there's now kind of a search benefit to having a question and an answer format on your site. So let's get into this uh idea of okay so content oh wait no you know what i do want to ask one more question because this was one of the questions i had very early like when i said go back to like 2010 that that era when you think about content strategy um and this is just a a way i like to think about it and challenge people in terms of uh you know how they silo it if somebody comes up to you sarah and says isn't content strategy just marketing what what does that mean oh. to you in terms of uh, how you would answer that? She's shaking her head. She is not happy I asked that question. But, but people will ask, people do ask that question. That is something that when right. they think about, well, it's messaging, right? That's marketing. How 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 do you explain that to them? Um, so messaging is a part of it, but it's not just messaging. It's it's governance, it's structure, it's um, you know, how are you going to um answer the business problems and some of those might be marketing problems, but some might also be user experience problems, you know, a user that is not necessarily being marketed to, but is trying to, you know, complete a task. 
Um, so it's really about how do you decide what the right thing is to build to begin with, and then how do you also set it up so that you're keeping that website healthy and effective and over time. And so some aspects of it might be marketing, but it's not content marketing. You know, when you're talking about content marketing, that's more producing content for the purpose of pulling in leads, um, which can, you know, be tied into SEO, which can be tied into content strategy, but they're not the same thing. And I think part of what contributes to the confusion is the use of the term content strategist in job descriptions that actually have nothing to do with content strategy. It's become kind of a, a trendy term. And if you look on like LinkedIn jobs for content strategist roles, the vast majority are not actually dealing with systems and processes and you know plans. The vast majority are basically like copywriters or content marketers. Um, so it's it's um, unfortunate and it's something that like you know Christina Halverson talks about all the time. The difference between them and and getting really frustrated when people kind of just smush them together because yeah. they are really different different goals, different types of practice. Is it like how artificial intelligence is rarely artificial intelligence? It's usually just <laughs> oh, algorithms yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> now that I've asked that question, gotten that out of the way. So understanding that it is sort of a very different thing. And while I, I always have this conversation about web in general, that web is very much an IT thing, but it's also very much a marketing thing. Like it is both and neither. And deserves a role kind of sitting apart somewhat and being, you know, it needs to be answerable and responsible to both, but also autonomous to a degree. Where, where do you see like content strategy sitting in an organization silo and in its stack? Is it a marketing thing like from a, where the person sits or do you advocate for something else entirely? So personally, I've been the content strategist in a web services team that was in IT. And then I've been, you know, director of digital strategy in a communications group. And for me personally, I prefer to sit in IT, um, partially just because of the understanding um, of the web and its needs that I found with my colleagues in IT versus my colleagues in communication that, that um, a lot of them, most of their work was still very print focused. And so um, my front end developer and I, we were kind of the odd men out a lot of the time in just terms of our understanding of of websites and how they work and what's important. I think it really depends on the organization. And, you know, there are some organizations that have content strategists in lots of different places, some very lucky organizations that get more than one. Um, and they have them, you know, sometimes embedded at the school level if it's a university. Um, and I think part of the sort of discussion about content strategy that's been going on for several years now within the field is also the types of content strategy and front-end content strategy versus back-end content strategy and um, content strategy that's more focused on editorial versus content strategy that might be more focused on data and structure. And so I think even within content strategy, different content strategy roles might make sense in different places. With that, let's start getting into... Uh the meat and potatoes of this. So a lot of the folks who will be listening to this episode, they are a designer of some kind. Maybe it's a UX designer or a UX developer. Maybe they're heavy into UI. Maybe they are a front-end engineer. The thing is, right, content strategy is empowered by the work we do, and we can both help it along and hinder it in a lot of ways. And so 
um, I'm thinking about a project that we are literally undertaking right now um, at work where we're redesigning a site. And one of the first things I did was go through all of our comps and break down all of the different, like, and just use a very simple one, a blog post. And it's like, okay, what do I need to build to support what they want to do and how they want to do it? Mm-hmm. If I'm a UX designer and I'm walking into a new project and let's say, you know, and, and not to like put OHO on spot, but let's say OHO is helping an organization, you know, they're doing a complete redesign and rebranding and new marketing effort. Like this company, they haven't touched their website in 10 years. And so they're like, we're going to start over from ground zero. You have carte blanche. <laughs> we have a UX designer though. What, <laughs> what can that UX designer do during the planning process um, and the reconstruction process to help support the work a content strategist wants to do? Like, what should they be thinking about? You know, we talk about this at work a lot, kind of where does content strategy fit in when you're talking about a web redesign? And I think ideally the content strategist is involved throughout the entire project because there's different aspects of content strategy that are relevant to different points in the project timeline that are relevant for different roles on the project team. So we might have different content strategy deliverables that make sense at different points in the project, but content strategy as a practice is happening throughout the entire process. And so with the UX, um, the way that we do it at OHO, we start with a discovery and strategy phase. And from there, we move into UX. Um, And we have content strategy deliverables that are part of discovery. And then we have content strategy deliverables that come after UX. But in between, I'm working with the UX designer. Um, In our case, UX designers are doing the sitemaps. And they also design the templates and often taxonomy. and What we'll do, though, is they'll ask for my input if they have a question. We do frequent kind of um, internal uh, sharing of our work so we can see, like, okay, this is what I'm thinking so far and taking feedback, you know, not only from me as the content strategist, but also from uh, other people on the team, the front end and back end devs and project manager. And so um, we take a pretty collaborative approach that gets all the different parts of the team together on a fairly consistent basis so that you know, uh, nobody's ever surprised by the work that's been done to date because we're all kind of informed and involved um, along the way. Being able to share your work and ask questions and take feedback is helpful on both sides. So um, often when I'm working on a strategy, I'll I'll ping a, a UX designer on the project and say, hey, I was thinking about this. Does this make sense? Is this what you were thinking when you designed the template this way? You use the word sitemap. Uh, a couple minutes ago, and then IA, which is information architecture, which is literally sort of the the scaffolding of how data will be laid out on the site. Aren't those the same thing? <laughs> Not really. I think sitemap could be considered part of IA. IA is information architecture. So in terms of, you know, a sitemap is certainly part of the information architecture. How are the pages, you know, set up in your site? How do they relate to each other? But also on a page level, on a template level, what what is sort of the priority or the the hierarchy of a page and what pieces do you have? You know, we do a lot of um we really do component based design. So we'll have templates and then we'll have reusable components across templates most of the time. So it's a lot of, you know, which which templates are which components are needed on any given template and is there a, a hierarchy there or is it flexible? And it depends on the template, depends on the project. Um, so I personally see a sitemap as a section of, or a, a subset of IA, but not the whole thing. Uh, and I, I throw that out just as kind of a soft 
ball-ish kind of question, but it is one of those, like, that's one of those elements that gets in the UX and content strategy where a lot of times information architecture in a lot of people's minds is very limited to just what is the topography of the website, right? But nothing mm-hmm. deeper, like not inner page stuff, not like, okay, so how are we going to categorize and organize blog posts? What are the words right. we want to use to convey that? Like that gets into a lot of that information architecture piece, but it's that's much more detailed and granular. But yep. in a lot, a lot of folks say, well, we have the sitemap. And that's an easy thing to confuse. And it's understandable why that happens. But I think it's important to kind of outline a little bit of that distinction. If I am a UX designer, UX developer, and uh, uh, Oho is coming in to help us, and I'm like, thank God we have needed an extra team in here because there's way too much going on for, you know, my little team or whatever. What questions would you want them to ask you like from that start? Like you're sitting down to start this project and go over things. What is it that you would want them to know and want them to be inquiring about to help that, that process go smoothly? I think usually it's actually the other way around where I'm asking them a lot of questions because I want to understand how they've been doing things, what's been working for them, what hasn't been, what are their pain points, um, what their resources are like in terms of, you know, supporting the site on an ongoing basis. We don't we don't want to build something that um, they can't maintain. Uh, We don't want to build something that, um, you know, uses some fancy functionality that it turns out they don't really need. So it's a lot of it is I start with questions. I ask, you know, hundreds of questions during a project trying to understand um the way that they're working now and where they would like to be in and a lot of my job is is helping figure out how we close that gap. Let's shift gears just a hair then. Um cuz the other side of this is then what the actual developers, what a front-end engineer, front-end designer um can do while they are coding stuff to support content strategy efforts. What is it that you look for them in terms of like the function and role that they will serve in the project you're doing? Like how can they step in? Cause a lot of folks will say, well, I'm just the developer. You give me a ticket. I'm just going to write, I'm just, I'm going to build the thing, um, which can work depending on your workflow, but it can also be very, like I, I find it as a front end developer, I am constantly asking the question of why, why am I building this thing? Why am I doing this piece of code? Mm -hmm. Because I'm always trying to think about how it's going to be asked to bend it later, right? Like requirements change, you know, sometimes my favorite thing is just, you know, trying to anticipate, well, the design had a headline 60 characters long and it was only one line. And I know that the first thing, you know, marketing is going to do is want to put up a page that has 110 characters and two lines. What does that do to the design? So I'm trying to think about that. What is it that content or that developers can do during that process to make sure that content strategy is empowered to reach their goals? That's a big question, I know, but we'll we'll grind it down here. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, first of all, what you were saying, asking why is absolutely key, making sure they're clear on the intention of the design and how it how it's supposed to be used by real editors who are almost universally not developers. Um, so understanding what it's supposed to do and thinking about, okay, well, if I build it this way, will it be achievable for those people to then have it do that? Um, and I think 
shared documentation is really important here. Um, we use a form of documentation in OHO that is created by UX, but then reviewed by strategy, product, project management, dev, and QA. And we can all weigh in and ask questions and work towards sort of a shared understanding so that we all agree on what we're building, what the purpose and the functionality of it all is. Um, I think also developers, um, if they can really understand, if they're asking why and they understand what the intention is, they might have a better way to build something that we didn't think of. So, um, you know, if, if we're trying to make it so that editors can do X and we had planned it this way, but you happen to know that, oh, if we do it this way, that's actually going to be more flexible and easier for them, then fantastic. We want to hear that, you know? Hmm. Getting, let's get a little more specific on that now. So sure. let's ask, I am the developer and I'm running our content management system, our CMS. Mm -hmm. Thinking about like building out a content architecture. What is it there? You know, because we think about, let's see, you know, if we use WordPress, for instance, and, and we're needing to build out custom post types and things like that to support mm -hmm. the messaging, to support the timing, um, you know, so I've got to be thinking about things like, well, I need to support, you know, a post date, most likely. Um, I need to support, you know, a headline field, but is that headline field, you know, uh, length limited or, you know, how should it display different things? What goes into planning and working between a CMS administrator or front-end engineer and how you explain, like, here's what we need out of the CMS? Like, what should people be on the lookout for there? Yeah, I think um, definitely, you know, understanding the intention, because that's going to help inform things like what kind of field it is or whether or not the field's required. Um, understanding sort of how, how would this be used? What's the purpose? And what's the skill level of the people who'll be actually using the system so that so that the editing editing experience is also useful? You know, there's that layer of user experience, too. And that's, I think, a layer of user experience that devs have a lot of influence over. When I was at Dartmouth Web Services, we were building this content repository uh, that would allow bi-directional content sharing across hundreds of sites with hundreds of editors. And so the editing interface was a hugely important part of that process because we had, you know, with hundreds of editors, you have a wide range of skill levels and it needed to work for all of them. So there was a great deal of collaboration um, between everyone on our team, really. Um, so me, the director, the developers, on what is that experience like and how do we make it work? And choices that they make in terms of how they build the system affect how usable the system actually is for those editors. Thinking about um, in, in terms of, well, and this could be developer-related, but it could also fall into the, the previous topic on like UX and, and things like that. Um, what pitfalls and challenges do you see, like what mistakes do you see people make? And whether that is like before engaging in content strategy, so things that like you realize they've been doing that you need to change in order to move forward, or mistakes and or mistakes that maybe are hap that happen during the process, whether that's through assumptions or, you know, people trying to get ahead of things. What, what kind of avoidable challenges get mixed up in this process that could be avoided just by, you know, sitting down and talking or, you know, coordinating those things or thinking ahead a little bit? What, what have you ran into or, or had to help people fix? Hmm, that's a good question. I think sometimes... 
the quickest fix or the way that makes most sense to a developer is not necessarily the way that's going to make sense to the end user of the system. So I think when we've run into problems in the past, it's it's been the, you know, well, the ticket says do X. And as a developer, I know that this is the fastest, easiest way to do X. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, without sort of stopping and thinking about, okay, but is X actually going to work next year and the year after that? And is it going to work for, you know, these people who might need it to do A, B, and C, not just A? Um, hmm. So I think I think sometimes speed, even though we're all pressed for time and we're all, you know, doing so many projects at once, sometimes speed gets in the way of of success, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's the triangle, right? You can have it fast, good, or uh cheap. So you gotta pick two. Right. right. The the thing the thing that I've the problem that I've run into before, and I'm not gonna name any names here, but is because a university life cycle or sorry, a university calendar has specific dates that are effectively immovable. Um, that can also often create time pressures uh, that maybe are a bit arbitrary and like inappropriate. Like this project needs to be done in two weeks, uh, but really it's like a four-week project. And so mm -hmm. now you have to make all these concessions because it, it has to happen before uh, commencement or whatever. Yep. Um, or before you know enrollment day starts. Right. And it probably should take six months, but you mm -hmm. know, it's April and they're asking you now. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. I think sometimes too, if it's, if you're responding to what the client is asking for, not what the client needs. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I see this happening like less in redesigns, but more in, um, in kind of like the, the one-off requests or support requests that mm -hmm. I, I remember dealing with when we were in web services where, you know, someone sends in a support ticket and they say, well, we need to add this to the website. And if you just take it at face value and do exactly what they say, mm -hmm. it might not actually be serving their needs and it might not be doing what they want because, you know, sometimes they've sort of arrived at their own conclusion. Right. Um, but if we stop, step back and say, why? And, you mm -hmm. know, what are you trying to achieve here? Um, and get a few more questions in about the sort of broader context, there might be a better solution that they're not aware of that actually mm -hmm. does what they need better. But sometimes opening up the can of worms ends up making things better for everyone because you realize it might point out, you know, an opportunity that you realize, oh, wait, it's not just this one site that needs it. Actually, all our sites would benefit yeah. from this. Mm -hmm. And it, it's worth taking a little bit more time to make all the sites better. I'm a big, big fan of having a buffer between the the client customer or, you know, requesting OU on campus and the ticketing system. And the buffer mm -hmm. can be either a process or a procedure, or it can be a, a human. Um, it can be anything, but I I have not ever had good experiences when the stakeholders are writing tickets directly because of that thing you just mentioned. It yeah. is, always leads to a bad time. Yeah. And sometimes, too, there might be more going on behind the scenes that the client isn't aware of. So if they you know ask for X to happen and they don't know that X, Y, and Z are actually coming down the road and it's going to be even better for them. Um, mm -hmm. That's, I think, you know, and again, it ties into what you were saying about calendars and expediency and this need to have this right now and trying to sort of paint the bigger picture and say, well, if you can, if you can hold off a little bit longer, or maybe here's a temporary fix that we can do with what you currently have. Maybe, you know, maybe you don't need a new component for this. Maybe we can achieve this 
at least in the short term, with one of your existing components, which is again where sometimes sometimes what appears to be a development request could actually be solved through some content strategy help. And you can, mm-hmm. you know, your content strategist can save the developers some time um, by saying, actually, if you use this this way, maybe <laughs> they don't need to code a whole new thing for you. <laughs> that uh, loops me around to the exact same question I asked about UX, which is, what what questions do you want developers to be asking the content strategist when you're sitting down and doing these projects? I think at least the way that I practice content strategy, where a lot of it ties into governance and user experience for editors. How is this meant to be used and will people be able to use it? And what might be holding people back from being able to do this successfully? You know, do we have the right pieces here? Did these labels, are these labels going to make sense to the site editor? Do we need to add helper text? Um, thinking about that experience and hmm. understanding, you know, w- what can I do as a developer that's going to help that end product? And um, I think probably because in web services, we were supporting hundreds of site editors. Um, and as the content strategist and UX team lead, I was involved with training. So I had a lot of direct contact with them. I'm I'm always thinking about, well, okay, you know, what's Susan in the English department going to think when she sees this and is it going to work? And is she going to be able to do her job easily and not have to put in a support ticket because we've made it too complicated? Do you find that when you're in charge of the content strategy, like do you define strategic goals for a period of time, let's say a year or five years or something. And then whenever content comes in, do you sort of like put it against the razor of, which strategic goals is this is this contributing to? Definitely, that's that's a key part of it is understanding you know what your goals are and what your key messages are and mm-hmm. you know what co- what content is supporting each of those and if you have content that's not supporting any of them why is it there? Um, yeah, and that comes through a lot, especially when we talk about storytelling. Um, and you know, occasionally there are going to be stories that that don't necessarily support any of those, but you have to publish them for sort of political organizational reasons. But <laughs> as much as possible, you know, making sure that your your content, whether it's stories or whether it's, you know, content on landing pages, that it is telling the right story, that it's giving the right message mm-hmm. and that it, it aligns with what the university is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where content strategy ends up having the biggest impact in the way that we do it at OHO is that because it tends to come after the wireframes are confirmed, often what I'm trying to do on the content strategy is reiterate how the wireframes are based on the overall project strategy and give some really good actionable advice on then how to make the best use of those wireframes, how to make sure that when you actually go in there and start adding content to your site, and then over time as you continue to add or hopefully remove content, I'm a big fan of removing content that you don't need (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Red red diffs are best diffs. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, then then making sure that, you know, you're really taking advantage when you know I work on mostly Drupal sites. And one thing I've seen a lot when um, an organization first moves into Drupal is that they're often not taking full advantage of what the opportunities are in Drupal. And mm. so they're not using, you know, um, they're not using paragraphs or different components. They're not using reusable content types. They're just kind of mm. Um, they've got the one body text where they're putting everything and, and that's it. And, Mm. you know, they'll say, oh, well, we've been in Drupal for a year or two years now. And it's like, you have, but you're really not, um, leveraging it the way that you can, you're not taking full advantage. And so 
Right. You know, we build them wireframes that are more component based that that provide sort of more flexibility and control in terms of layout and give that, you know, control to site editors. And then in the content strategy, I'm trying to kind of then build on that design and say, okay, given that you have these components, how do you use them? And what are, you know, what are the different cases or different goals that you might use different sets for? And um, what are the different things you need to take into consideration when you're preparing your content, you know, so that I think often people are starting their content in, you know, a Google Doc or a Word Doc, and they mm-hmm. type a lot of words. And um, a part of a big part of what I end up doing is is trying to get people to think in chunks instead mm-hmm. of in just a text based document. Um, and thinking, you know, from the beginning when you're creating your content about what your options are and what different ways you can express that content and then creating content that fits those pieces. It's it's difficult, especially in higher ed, where, I mean, especially from faculty and for people who have written, like contributed to journals, where you want to have a lot of like mm-hmm. fleshy content. And on the web, it's the opposite. Like brevity is of utmost importance. And so it's a completely different paradigm for how you're writing and like what is prioritized and emphasized. Yep, um, absolutely. I have a question for you. Uh, you've kind of danced around this a little bit. In your opinion, should the wireframes come before or after the content strategy is at least roughed out? Like should uh, the wireframes be informed by content strategy or vice versa? Both. It's a loop. It's the okay. snake eating its tail, you know. Okay. Um, you need to have some sense of content strategy going into the wireframes. So you're, hmm. what you're creating makes sense for the content that they'll eventually publish with it. And then it comes back to that with, okay, now you've got these wireframes. How do you actually use them? Um, so it's like, like an, iter- an iterative process kind of mm-hmm. um, bouncing back and forth and like building them up as you're going along. Okay. Yep, exactly. Okay. That's where I think you'll hear folks use that word agile, right? A lot. Agile is all mm-hmm. about cycles and everybody will tell you mm-hmm. we do agile. It's just a little different, right? Everybody modifies <laughs> agile to meet their needs. But the, the idea is that you're constantly moving, you're constantly learning, iterating. And so that you're not trying to get to the finished thing immediately. You'll do some wireframing. You'll talk to some people, you'll do some testing, then you'll refine those things. And then you'll reach a point where design will start based on that. But you may still also yep. iterate. The, the wireframes won't necessarily lock in. This can be very frustrating for designers mm-hmm. and, and developers, certainly. But it is sort of the nature of the process. And over time, the wireframes, while they may not lock in, they do finally sort of, you know, they, they do become concrete, you know, in that way. And so you do move forward. It's not like the whole paradigm will shift underneath you, so to speak. Right. I just want to add that I think that's why collaboration is so important because even though, you know, you might have specialists working on a project that they're not working sort of in their own little silo and then going, here you go. I did my piece. Now you do your piece, you know, that it, it needs to be um, really collaborative. And so that uh, there are no sort of surprises when it gets to, you know, your stage of the project that you have been informed and consulted throughout. And so you're all kind of working as a team throughout the project. Yeah. Hmm. Let's uh, end on this. I'm a developer. I'm a designer. I'm somebody who cares very much about making sure our messaging meshes with the things I'm building. And I want to help out 
anywhere I can. What kind of tools should I be on the lookout for? Should I be learning or, or reaching out to? Or if I know we're bringing somebody in to help with this, you know, what, what are tools I should learn so that I can integrate with the work they're going to bring in, whether that's because we, we started, you know, this whole conversation off by kind of talking about the, how, how content strategy helps with the how, what, when, where, why uh, conversation, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's calendars, organization systems, uh, 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 content management systems for content, um, things like that. What, what kind of tools should I be? And whether that's, general classes of things or specific tools that you just find very helpful? What what would you suggest to folks? Honestly, every content strategist I know uses a ton of spreadsheets. <laughs> so hmm. uh, that, you know, did, I think tools. Like why? Um, I think because we're always trying to organize large, complex amounts of information and hmm. there are different ways to do it, but um. You know, if there's a lot of different factors, then being able to to put things into columns and rows can can help. It's another way to look at things that comes off the page. Um, and and then, of course, you can get into pivot tables and stuff. And this is where, you know, you can get into the data side of content strategy. Um, I'm always interested in things like, OK, if we've identified these key brand messages and we're creating content based on these brand messages, then going back to that, completing the cycle where uh, you know, the editorial planning cycle where we don't just plan, create, publish, distribute, collect data. We then close the circle by using that data to inform the next planning session. Um, and so being able to look at things like, okay, we've been using, you know, these tags in our story taxonomy. How do the tags, if if we were to take our data from Google Analytics and look at sort of our engagement data on the stories, and then split it up by taxonomy. Like, where are the patterns? What What is really working for people? What's not working for people? Or, you know, we identified these three key messages and it turns out that 90% of our stories are about two of them. We're kind of neglecting one of the messages. What can we do about that? So I think, um, well, you know, content is often about the words. I think a lot of content strategists take a really, can, can take kind of a, a nerdy data approach to thinking about the words. Beyond that, I actually don't necessarily have any tools to recommend because I think, you know, it's always about goals before tools. And so as long as you're in agreement or in alignment on what you're trying to do, then there could be any number of tools that work that help you get to that spot, to to that goal point, you know? Hmm. Any last uh, thing, just golden nugget. What would you, what would you tell that aspiring developer, designer, like, What's the one thing you want them to know about content strategy that they may not realize? Um, that, you know, it can be helpful for you and vice versa and getting to know your content strategist and um, asking them questions and answering their questions can really pay off. You know, I have learned so much from developers and in my first content strategy role at Dartmouth, I was really lucky to work with developers who took the time to explain things to me. Like if I found a bug when I was putting content into a site and I told them, they wouldn't just say, okay, thanks, we've got it. They Hmm. would start looking at the code right then and show me and explain what they were doing, where they were looking, why they were looking there. And I learned so much from that. And then over time, it helped them too, because instead of just bringing them bugs, I could also bring them possible reasons for the bugs because I understood the system better and I understood 
um, you know, what some of the potential problems might be. It gave me a much better understanding of how to build websites beyond the words. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, that collaboration was fantastic. And it's it's part of what I love about the web and building websites is that it's it's not just writing. You know, I did years of just writing and instead being able to collaborate with other creative people um, is really rewarding for me. That collaboration is also kind of what brings us back together for things like uh, our, our new favorite catchphrase, which is kind design. Kind design doesn't just involve <laughs> the people you build for, it can include the people you build with. Um, and making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, yeah, you're you're helping out and lending that hand because when we all understand these concepts better, it makes us all better at our jobs. It makes us all, you know, it, we intermingle much easier and, and solve problems much better. Well, our work here is almost done. I'm going to give you one second. Get yourself a drink of water. Sit back. Take a breath. And we'll be right back. Sarah, thank you so much for taking your time this evening. I hope after this uh, you go find like a nice cold part of your refrigerator to stick your head into to alleviate some of that Vermont heat, that that notorious Vermont heat. Uh, (laughs) But I want to take one second and give you the microphone. uh, Tell everybody where they can find you, what you got going on, or anything at all else that you want them to know about. Sure. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn or um, I'm on Twitter at Choice of Pies. And um, one thing you should know is that, uh, you know, as as Michael mentioned, I work at OHO Interactive. It's a web and digital marketing company specializing in higher ed, but we also do work in other verticals like nonprofits and healthcare. And we are hiring. We have a lot of open positions right now. So please go to OHO.com. It's OHO.com and check out our job listings because it's a great place to work and we'd love to have you. I just speaking to that, when I worked at a university previously, we did work with OHO and they were great. So seconding that. I was well actually as... an OHO client twice before I joined the team. So <laughs> I really enjoyed working with OHO. I've never collaborated yeah, with OHO. OHO, but I know plenty of the people who are there as a, gonna, as a result. I was going to say, you yeah. and I both know a whole bunch of people. I, I will vouch for the people. So that's uh, that's something. I think I have, what is it? Is this it? Yeah, this is, it's got stickers all over it, but this is. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's going back a while. That's uh, one of the this notebooks. Is... Yes. Yeah, I think this is from uh, maybe PSU Elements or one of those, maybe HideWeb. I don't remember which one. Yep. Nice. I have a few of them, though. <laughs> I've got the full set of um, OHO, uh, the Cards Against Humanity Higher Ed Edition that OHO oh, did. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. those are so great. Colleges Against Insanity. We did. <laughs> yes, you've got I them, too. Just run, I ran off screen to grab mine. <laughs> I've still got them. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, after you check out Choice of Pies, which is an excellent Twitter name, uh, you should come and see us at Twitter and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX or Instagram.com slash DrunkenUX podcast. And come talk with us at DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. Just remember that just because you may be a designer, just because you may be a developer, the, the work you do does not stop at the code you commit and or, or the designs that you save. Um the content part of the work we do is incredibly important because the sites we build are made for people. People come to us to consume, whether it's our products, our information, or learn about us. And so that work you do is very important to empowering that message. And how well it comes across depends entirely on whether or not you keep your personas close. But 
your users closer. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>